All right. So this morning, uh, we are continuing a series that's called Jesus Is, and we've been working through the book of John, and as the name of the series suggests, we've been seeing who Jesus is through various experiences, encounters, conversations that Jesus has with everyday, regular people just like you and me. And so today, we get to see an interaction, a conversation that Jesus has with a man named Nicodemus, uh, a man whose life would be flipped upside down by the conversation that we're going to basically listen in on this morning. But before we dive into that, I want to tell you guys a quick story to kind of set up our time. And so uh, if you were here last week, I shared my, my story, and uh, I was born in Puerto Rico. I moved to Orange County when I was eight or nine years old, and I lived in this place called Laguna Niguel in South Orange County. And I made a really good group of friends uh, that we were together for about 10 years. And one of my best friends during that time, his name is Mike, and Mike was like the outdoorsy guy. Uh, he loved doing stuff with his hands. He liked getting out there, getting dirty, getting messy. And I was on the other side of the spectrum. I hated working with my hands. Uh, I liked to think. And uh, I didn't like to be outside at all unless there was like a bat and a ball and a glove involved. So, but, but Mike was relentless. Like he, he just wanted me to get out. He wanted to kind of challenge me and, and encourage me to get out of my comfort zone. So um, it kind of started small. Like he, he invited me to go fishing in a Laguna Niguel Lake. If you've ever been there before, it's just like this little lake in uh, my hometown. And so it was just like a little, little fishing boat. We went fishing. So that was kind of the start. And then he took me on a bigger boat out in the ocean, one of those big boats where you, you fish big fish, like barracuda and bass and stuff like that. I didn't catch anything, but I went with him. And then Mike, uh, towards the end of high school, I think he kind of realized like this, this time of our lives is coming to an end. We're all going to be like separated here pretty soon. So he just starts up in the ante. He wasn't satisfied anymore with like going out into the ocean um, on a boat. Um, he, saw, he wanted to start now diving into the ocean and fishing with like a spear, basically, which is exactly what you think uh, it is. So, and then he starts inviting me to this. And I'm like, bro, I'm, I'm fine, pal. I don't need that in my life. And, but he was relentless. And he kind of knew like if he keeps, if he just kept asking me that I would do it, eventually I would go with him. And he was right. So he kept asking and asking. Eventually he was like, oh no, man, I, this is so amazing. I don't have anybody to share this with. And I'm like, all right, pal, we'll, we'll go with you. you. Take it easy. So I went with him, and, but I told him, like, I'm not getting in the ocean with you. Because his new thing by the end was, like, nighttime diving. I don't know if you've ever done this. But he would go in the middle of the night to Laguna Beach, which is cliffs, if you've ever been there before. He would jump off of a cliff with a spear in his hand and go diving. So it's kind of like if he made it without impaling himself, he was going to go and um, basically get fish with his bare hands and with a spear. And so, so I was like, I'm not doing that with you, pal. But I'll watch from the rock face. I'll watch from the cliff. And so he took me, and I was blown away. I was like, this is amazing. No wonder you keep asking. Like Laguna Beach in the background, the, the, everything's lit up by the moon, the cliffs, the city. It was just incredible. Most beautiful thing maybe I'd ever seen up to that point in my life. So Mike was like, I got him. I know he's going he's gonna to want to do this again. And I told him, like, I'm not jumping in with you in the middle of the night, though, pal. This is crazy. Uh, this is crazy talk, crazy stuff. So he was like, well, what, about if, what if I take you during the day? What if I take you midday? And that way, you, you, there's no surprises. Like, you can see exactly what's out there, what you're swimming with. And I was like, okay, I'll do that. So one day, my buddy Mike, my buddy Greg, and I, we basically hiked what, for what felt like an hour to, like, a cliff in Laguna Beach. And one by one, we jumped in. So Mike went first. Then my buddy Greg, who was a swimmer. He swam water polo. He did water polo and swim. And then I get up to the edge of the cliff. I look down, and I'm like, that's... Um, 
a lot farther than I thought, A, and then it comes, it comes back to me that I'm not a good swimmer. Uh, when I was 11, my mom realized this, and she put me in a swim class, and I qualified with the guppies, which is like the six-year-olds, uh, and I struggled. I was bottom of the class. So, but I was 18 or 19 at the time now, and I'm like, I'll be fine. It's no big deal. So I jump in, and immediately I knew that this was a bad idea. Uh, first of all, I didn't really calculate the fact that it was February, and the Pacific Ocean is a frozen tundra. Uh, it's like 58-degree water at that point. I don't have a wetsuit because I'm not outdoorsy. I don't need one. So I hit my, my body hits the water, and I, I freeze. Hey, hello. No, that's basically... Oh, did we lose it? Can you guys hear me? All right, cool. That's what I was... That, inwardly, that's what happened. It was like... Whoa. And I like froze up like this. I like panic froze, and I start to sink uh, immediately. And now I'm like, I'm in trouble. Uh, the, the shore, you might have all have asked me to like swim to Canada. It was so far away. My buddies uh, were, I think they were a little bit surprised by the conditions out there. The waves were really big. They look small from when you're up here, but when you jump in, they're huge. They're coming over. And so I start to sink, and now I'm like, you can kind of see like up my mouth like just trying to breathe. I'm freezing. I'm getting really tired because it's taking everything I have just to stay up. Down. I feel like I'm going down. And I look around and my buddies are having their own troubles. They can't help me. There's no way out of here. I can't swim my way out of this one. Basically, at a certain point, I realize like it's no longer a matter of if I'm going to drown. Now it's a matter of like when and how am I going to drown? I'm going to die in the Pacific Ocean. I'm going to become a new story on the 10 o'clock news. And I basically was a dead man in need of a miracle, and I saw no way out. That was the situation that I was in. And so I share the story this morning because we're going to look at the story of a man, Nicodemus, who was also facing a life and death situation. But it wasn't Nicodemus' physical body that was in danger. It was his eternal soul. And this morning we get to listen in to what Jesus says to Nicodemus in his precarious state. And we get to learn like what Jesus tell, says to us by extension because we're going to find out that what afflicts Nicodemus puts all of us at risk, puts all of us in jeopardy. So we get to listen, learn, and unpack what Jesus' words mean for our lives. So I'm going to pray and then we'll dive in. Uh, Father, I want to thank you for this morning. I want to thank you for your son Jesus. I want to thank you that he came speaking grace and truth to us. And I want to thank you that because of him, we have hope and we can have life. And I pray this morning that you would open hearts all around this room to hear your message, to hear your word. I pray that you would help me to preach clearly who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And I pray, God, that at the end of this, there would be much joy in this room. We love you, Father, in your name. Amen. All right, so we're going to go ahead and dive in. We're in John 3. Verses 1 to 15, I think we're going to have them up on the screen if you don't have a Bible. So, verse 1, chapter 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God. It's wherever God is king. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born again when he's old? 
Can he enter in a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Verse 5, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? He's stunned, shocked. Verse 10, Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you don't understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. This is something that Nicodemus should have known, and he didn't. Verse 12, if, you, if I have told you earthly things, and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? 13, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. There's so much to unpack here. If you're like me, you might have like a hundred questions just racing through your mind right now. There's so many images and word pictures and things that might seem foreign. And I can't cover everything. So if there's anything that you have like a question on, feel free to hit me up later and we can talk about it. But I have basically three points, three things that I want to talk to you guys about today. So if you're taking notes, these are my three points. One, the meaning of being born again. Two, the marks of being born again. And three, the means of being born again. So the meaning, the marks, and the means of being born again. So my first point, the meaning of being born again. Quickly, who is Nicodemus? He's kind of a central character in the story. So we know a few things about him. Number one, he was very wealthy. He was a rich man. And this is important because people in that time, in that place, in that culture would have interpreted that as a sign of God's blessing on Nicodemus' life. So God must have been quite pleased with Nicodemus. That's how people would have interpreted that. Secondly, he's a religious man. He's a part of the Pharisees. So he would have been like on the Navy Seals of Holiness, basically. There were no more than 6,000 Pharisees in the world at any given time. This was the elite, the best of the best of the best kind of you know, crew that he was a part of, he was rolling with. So he was a Pharisee. He was also a ruler. That word in there is actually really interesting. It's basically code for the fact that he was a member of the Sanhedrin, which was this council of 70 people, just 70 people, who had religious jurisdiction over every Jew in the entire world. So he's in the inner circle of the inner circle of influence and power among the people of God. He was like a celebrity pastor and a politician rolled into one. That's who Nicodemus was. And you might be sitting here thinking like, cool, man, um, I'm not in the inner circle of power. I, don't have, I have religious jurisdiction over one person, myself. If you have a wife or a spouse and kids, maybe two or three more. You know, you're not, maybe you're thinking, like, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a Bible teacher, I just work a job, I'm a student, I'm a mom, I'm a dad, I'm a roommate, I'm a parent, I'm a spouse. How does Nicodemus' life intersect with my life? Why should I care about this? Why does this matter? Well, I think it's really important to remember that the Bible doesn't care that much about roles and titles, but it does care a lot about the inner posture of the human heart towards God. 1 Samuel 16.7 says this, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Which means that you might have more with, in common with Nicodemus than you might ever realize. 
How so? And despite the power and the prestige that he had and his possessions, which were many, Nicodemus is ultimately a man who's seeking after God and needs help. And so he goes to Jesus. And so if that doesn't describe us here today, I don't know what does. We're like him in many ways. So we see that Nicodemus, he was a ruler, he's religious, and he's coming to Jesus. And he comes to him at night. What's that all about? I think it's interesting to note, if, you ever, if you've ever read through the book of John, you get to the end of John, and John is like, there's so much more. If we were to write everything that Jesus did, we would fill the whole world with books. So John had to be careful with what he put in the book. He had to be very selective. He had to edit, cut. He had to be very, very specific with what he kept in the book. But he tells us this. He makes a note of this. He came in darkness. He came at night. Why? Well, John uses light and darkness imagery often in the book of John. Darkness can symbolize evil. It can also symbolize ignorance. Darkness basically is what keeps us from coming to the light. It's what keeps people from coming to the light. Nicodemus comes to Jesus enveloped by darkness. And this is not a coincidence. John points this out to us for a reason. This great teacher of Israel. He was the teacher of Israel. He was one of the guys that everybody would look to. Whatever that Bible teacher that you think of when you think Bible teacher influence, like he's that guy. This great man is coming in the dark because he's in the dark about the things of God through sin, through ignorance, or a combination of both. And this is staggering stuff. And it means that you can be in church your whole life and miss the point of it entirely. It means that you can teach others about God and not know who God is and what he's about. If that doesn't scare you to the innermost being, I don't know what will. It doesn't scare me as a pastor, as someone who's preaching the word of God. I don't know what will. How could this be? How is this possible that you can be in church all your life and not know the first thing about God? Let's go back. The Bible tells us that in the beginning, God spoke to Adam, who was the first man. In Genesis 2, 16 to 17, it says this, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And of course, what did Adam do? He ate. And that day he, he died, but it wasn't a physical death. He didn't like keel over and die right in that minute, right in that moment. But it was a spiritual death that he passed to all of us. Romans 5.12 brings this out really clearly. It says this, Sin came into the world through one man, Adam. And death through sin. So, sin spread, so death spread to all men because all sinned. So we've inherited this spiritual death from Adam. That's why our world is broken. That's why it's messed up. And that's why we don't need so much like principles on how to live a better life. We need a whole new life entirely. And that's what Nicodemus is discovering. So Nicodemus is in the dark about this stuff. But Nicodemus has one thing going for him. Who is he with? He's with Jesus. He's in the right place. And so for us today, um, I think we're in the right place too. Because right now we're entering into this conversation with Jesus and we can learn what Jesus has to say about this. Kind of like one Bible teacher to another. These guys are talking this out. The deep things of God. What did Nicodemus and Jesus talk about? So Nicodemus, you'll notice, he starts by paying Jesus a compliment. He says, Rabbi. It's respectful. It's a respectful term. That's good because Jesus is a, he's a rabbi. It's a tip of the cap. And how does Jesus respond? 
cuts him off. And he goes, all right, Nicodemus, you want advice? Let me tell you what your problem is. Whoa. If you started a conversation with somebody that you admired, somebody in your field, in your whatever, sphere of influence, somebody that you admired, you go up to them and you want to talk to them about stuff and they respond to your compliment like, let me tell you what your real problem is. You would feel like that person is abrupt and rude. Jesus seems unconcerned about this. He dispenses with the niceties and he just gives them the truthful bore. Now, I want you to hear me. Jesus is not some unemotionally aware, some, some emotionally unaware jerk. That's not who Jesus is. He's the most emotionally aware person who's ever walked the earth. He's the most sensitive man, the most caring man, the most kind man. He's extraordinary with people. And if you've been journeying with us, or you're going to continue journeying with us, you're going to see this again and again. He meets people right where they're at, giving them what they need. But the thing is, we don't all need the same approach. We're different people with different life experiences, different understandings of God and who he is. And so Jesus customizes his response to this person in front of him. Nicodemus was, was an older man. He was advanced in years. He had obviously studied the Bible for decades, and he came for advice. He was asking for real talk. So Jesus knows what's at stake. This is life or death, and this guy does not get it. Nicodemus does not get it. So Jesus held nothing back in the same way that if you saw a child running across the street about to get hit by a car, you would hold nothing back. You would yell at the top of your lungs, stop! You know, like you would, you would chase after that child. You would do whatever it took because it's serious. It's life and death. That's what Jesus does here. He holds nothing back. And I mention this because I want you to see something. Jesus is direct with Nicodemus. Why? Because he loves Nicodemus. He wants Nicodemus to understand the seriousness of his situation so that he can find the solution. And I believe Jesus wants the same for us today. So Jesus effectively tells Nicodemus, when it comes to the things of God, Nicodemus, you're in the dark. You don't need more teaching. You don't need more clarification. You don't need more Bible knowledge. You don't need more principles for living. You must be born again. Sometimes we feel like what we most need is like somebody to explain stuff to us, to tell us what to do in a situation, to open up the Bible and enlighten our minds. Those are good things, and we do need that. So please hear me. I'm not anti that. I'm all for that. But this, this morning, do not miss what Jesus is saying. New birth is what counts the most. What does that mean? What does it mean to be born again? Growing up, I typically thought of being born again as like you had some experience, some radical moment where you like kind of came uh, to grips with like who you are and then you uh, changed your ways and then your life was different afterwards. And I think being born again can have elements of that. But that's not primarily what it means. In the Greek, it could actually mean two things. It could, it could mean to be born another time or to be born from above, kind of have a heavenly birth. They both get at the same thing, though. We need a new spiritual birth. That's what being born again means. And this is not the same thing, by the way, as a fresh start. I had a buddy in college whom I loved. He was so funny. I thought he was funny. And uh, he used to love saying, I'm turning over a new leaf. That was like his go-to thing. Uh, when he'd fall off the wagon with his diet, I'm turning over a new leaf. When he'd had trouble with his lady, I'm turning over a new leaf. I'm starting over. Uh, you know, like he just loved turning over a new leaf. And Jesus, he's not saying to turn over a new leaf. He's saying, if you want to see and enter God's kingdom, you need a whole new life, a whole new spiritual life. You must be born again. 
And of course, this had massive implications for Nicodemus, the guy he was talking to. There's a quote here, as I was reading and preparing for this message, that just jumped out at me. It's a scholar. His name is Philip Ryken. He says this, with one short sentence, you must be born again. Jesus dismissed every one of Nicodemus's religious credentials. This is decades worth of activity in the church, of service, of Bible study, decades worth of this stuff dismissed in one sentence. And so he told him, you still lack the one thing God requires for entrance into his eternal kingdom, the new birth. Whoa. All those credentials gone. And Jesus is speaking to us today too. What are your religious credentials? Maybe you come from a Christian family. Maybe you've been in the church for years. Maybe you've served faithfully. Maybe you've taught Sunday school, led groups, led ministries. Maybe you feel like, oh, I've worked hard. I'm responsible. I'm disciplined. I'm not a drunk. I don't do drugs. I don't sleep around. I pay my taxes. I'm responsible. I'm not out looking to hurt anyone in life. I help when I'm needed. I'm just trying to live my life the best I can, to which I think Jesus would cut you off and say, you must be born again. Lovingly, but very directly, you must be born again. Another quote, it does not matter what family you come from, what church you attend, the doctrinal positions you hold, how clever you are, or how much of the Bible you know. What matters is being born again. Now the downside to this is massive as you guys are probably feeling right now. Without this new birth, we're just pretending. We're playing church. Or we're performing for God. We're trying to make ourselves right with God through our religious credentials. And neither of these leads to life. They don't. Are you pretending to be someone in the church that you're really not? Are you trying to please God with your own efforts? It's all for nothing apart from this this new birth. Now, as bad as it is without new spiritual life, the flip side is incredible. Through the new birth, we get to be a part of God's kingdom. We can actually know the king, and we can have his kingdom. We can have forgiveness and new life. So what do you want? What is it that you want? Do you want a life of pretending or performing in church? Or do you want new life with the king in his kingdom? Pretending or performing, that comes naturally to us. I don't even need to explain it. We just know what it is. We're all inclined to that. But new life, for that, you must be born again. And the good news is that you can be. You can have that. If you've not experienced it, it can be yours today. So my first point, what does it mean to be born again? It means you must die and be made new. That's what it means to be born again. You must die and be made new. So my second point, The marks of being born again. How do you know if you're born again? What are the marks of being born again? So in verse 5, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I have said to you, you must be born again. All right, so in these verses, we see a couple things. We see water and spirit. I guess we see three, three things. Water and the Spirit and flesh. What does this all mean? What does it mean to be born of water in the Spirit? Well, this is almost certainly an allusion by Jesus to Ezekiel 36, verses 25 to 26. 
where God tells his sinful but loved people this. He gives them this amazing promise. Ezekiel 36, verse 25, it says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. From all your idols, I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. So being born of water and the spirit simply means to be born by the cleansing, renewing power of the Holy Spirit. Born by the cleansing and renewing power of the Holy Spirit. So we receive new spiritual life as God transforms our hearts, washes us inwardly, and makes us new creations who have his life, his spirit, and a new heart. He gives us the gift of a new, clean heart. That's what that means. So I want to ask you this morning, like, do you want that? Is that something you think you need? Are there things in your life that have left you feeling maybe dirty? Do you want to be made clean? Uh, I shared my story last week, but maybe you're here and you're like me. You grow up feeling shame and guilt over running away from God towards other things, towards someone or something. Maybe you're here and, and you've lusted after someone, maybe someone you know, maybe someone you saw on your social media feed. Maybe this is a pattern of life. Maybe you struggled with fantasies and pornography and turning people into objects. Do you want to be cleansed from that in your life? Maybe you're becoming aware that you're an envious person and that you resent other people for things that they have that you wish you had. And maybe your jealousy has turned bitter. Do you want to be cleansed from that, from envy, from resentment, from bitterness? Maybe you've demonized a whole group of people who are different from you. People that are unlike you. People that believe different things. Do you want to be cleansed from that? I want to look at people as created in the image of God, as having value and worth intrinsic, intrinsically beyond what they believe or what they can offer you. Maybe you're here and, you're in, and you just started to realize, like, man, I've lived my whole life with kind of an apathy towards God. I don't actually have like a great love or a passion for him. Maybe you're here and you've, you've been playing the comparison game, oscillating between being puffed up with pride against other people or despairing because you feel inferior. Or maybe you're here and you've realized like, I'm a judgmental person who looks down on others. Or maybe he, you're here and you've started to realize like, I pretend to be someone I'm not to look a certain way before God and other people. Do you want to be cleansed from that? Do you want to be cleansed from hypocrisy in your life? Do you want to be cleansed from pride? Do you want to be cleansed from looking to people or your things or your accomplishments to satisfy the deepest longings of your heart? Maybe there might be somebody here who you've done something that you feel like you could never be forgiven for. Maybe it was an abortion. Maybe it was adultery. Maybe you killed someone. I don't know. Do you want to be cleansed from that sin that feels unforgivable? I have good news for you today. You can be. You can be cleansed today. Now, before I get into how that works, I want to ask the question, what might keep you from being cleansed? And I thought of two things. First, pride. Be very wary of pride. That feeling of thanks, but I don't really need that. I'm good. Jesus says, not so, friend. You must be born again. And Jesus, by the way, is right about us. He knows the human heart. John 2, verses 24 to 25. This is, a, I think, some of the most interesting verses in the Bible. 
It says Jesus is surrounded by people, and he says he knew them all. And he did not need anyone to testify about man. He didn't need anybody to say, this is what's on my heart. He already knows. He himself knew what was in man. He knows. And if you got down to a heart level and look at your inner life, you cannot come away thinking, if you're thinking clearly, you can't come away thinking like, oh, I don't need cleansing, and I'll prove it to you. So let's, let's, let's imagine for a second that I could take all of your thoughts, if I could put your heart on speaker for a week, how would you feel about that? Do you feel like you need some cleansing? Me too. Now think about this. Jesus already knows what's on your heart. He knows everything. So you tell me, do you have the kind of inner life, the integrity that would stand before a holy, perfect, just God who hates everything that's false and ugly, who hates murder when we murder people in our hearts? He hates slander when we slander people in our hearts. God opposes the proud. So what's he going to do with you if you reject his offer of a new clean heart and a new spirit within you? What is, is he going to give you a pass because you're a nice person? Don't bank on it. What can you do instead? Come and be cleansed. Come and receive a clean heart and a new spirit. You can have it. The other thing real quick that I think can keep us from experiencing this, this new spiritual life, is fear. You might have a fear of what other people will think of you. You might have a fear of what you might lose if you, if you come to Jesus. If that's you, I totally get it. I shared last week my story uh, I shared my, my fear of losing human love and acceptance, and that's what kept me ultimately from coming to Jesus to experience new spiritual life. But this is what I've learned. I've learned that whatever you put before Jesus, you're going to lose it. You can't keep it. Everything has an expiration date, unfortunately, in this life. But new life does not. It's forever. By definition, it's more valuable than anything else in this world because everything else will expire, will come to an end. New life does not. It's eternal life. It's life in God's kingdom. It's a new creation. Something new that God is doing in the earth that he's welcoming and inviting all people to come and experience. So what's my point? Don't let pride or fear keep you from being cleansed and receiving God's spirit. It's not worth it. I know this from experience. Jesus' words are helpful too from verse six. He says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. We're born flesh which is a reference to fallen, broken humanity in all its frailness. We remain flesh without a new birth. The prophet Jeremiah said this, can the leopard change his spots? Can the leopard change his spots? No. Okay, we are what we are, fallen, broken, frail, and it's never gonna change unless we experience the new birth, the inner cleansing that comes from knowing and experiencing the Holy Spirit through Jesus. So my second point, the marks of being born again are a clean heart and the spirit, a new spirit. A clean heart and a new spirit, the Holy Spirit. So, so far we've seen if you want to know God, you have to be made new. We've also seen that the marks of the new life are a clean heart and a new spirit. So now we arrive at point three. So we're coming to the end here. My third point is this, the means of being born again. What are the means what is the means of being born again? How do you and I receive new spiritual life? So let's finish up our passage to find out. John 3, verses 14 and 15 say this. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, 
so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. What is Jesus talking about? Uh, For many of us, this might sound like an obscure reference. What is this serpent that's lifted up? What does that mean? Uh, Jesus is actually referencing a story that Nicodemus would have been familiar with. It's out of Numbers 21. God's people in this story have come under judgment for sin. And so they've been bitten by poisonous snakes and they're all dying. There's poison in their blood. They're literally expiring. They're dying. It's a pretty serious situation. And so the people cry out. They're like, how can we be saved? What do we need to do? What can we do? And so Numbers 28 Excuse me, Numbers 21, verse 8 says this. The Lord, he heard the cries of the people, and he said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. Kind of a strange story, no? Kind of a weird one. Serpent, pole, poison. What does this all mean? Well, Jesus is using the story to point Nicodemus to to the sign, the ultimate sign that he should be looking to. Remember in the beginning of the story, Nicodemus talks about, we see these signs that you're doing, and um, we know you're from God. So Jesus is doing all these things, and Jesus is saying, this is the sign. Just as the serpent was lifted up, so the Son of Man must be lifted up on the cross for the sins of the world, so that everyone who looks on him might receive new life. That's the point of the story. This is your hope, and this is my hope. And we could be made new through the cleansing power of the Holy Spirit by looking to Jesus, the one who died for us. Not just the one who died for us on the cross, but the one who was raised for us to new life. John loves doing like this, the double meaning. I'm sure there's a fancy theological term for it. A double meaning. One thing that can mean two things. So when Jesus is lifted up, he's obviously talking about his cross. He's lifted up. He's crucified all of, his sin, all of our sins are put on him, and he dies to put those sins away and forgive us. Anyone who looks to him can be forgiven. But there's more. When was Jesus lifted up again? He was lifted up again on the third day from the grave, and he also ascended into heaven, where now he's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's, this, he's ascended, and we get to look to him, to his death, his resurrection, his ascension, out of the grave, into new life. And that's exactly what happens to us when we look to him. We come out of the grave and we go into new life. We're united with him. And so you can have forgiveness. You can have hope. You can have this cleansing that you want. If you want it, you can have it. Because all of our sins, all of our brokenness, everything was put on him. The one who died for us, the one who was raised for us. So when we look to him, we're cleansed by his blood. We're washed clean. We're made new people. Do you want that? Is that something you want? If you've never experienced it, do you want that? Look to Jesus. Put your trust in him. And today, Jesus in the story was asking Nicodemus, like, do you trust me? Do you believe me? Nicodemus didn't really believe him at this point in the story. And Jesus is saying the same to us today. Do you trust me? Are you looking to me to rescue you? If you've looked to Jesus, you can be confident that he's going to rescue you. No matter what you've done in life, it doesn't matter cleansed by the blood of Jesus, gone forever. It's good news. Now, on the flip side of that, if you've not looked to Jesus, no matter what you've done, it doesn't matter. You could be like Nicodemus, climb to the top. Profits you nothing. You must look to him to be made new, 
to be cleansed and to receive God's spirit. So let me finish uh, my story. I started this morning with a story. I'm drowning off the, the coast of Pacific, uh, the Pacific Ocean, off the coast of Laguna. And I'm kind of, the reason I chose to share the story is because I'm kind of like the Israelites, bitten by snakes, dying. I'm pretty much in my grave uh, off the coast of Laguna Beach. And it's kind of like us, like we're suffering from the effects of Adam's sin and our sin. Like we're basically dead, spiritually speaking. And I realized as I was out there, looking back at my story, like I couldn't look to myself. I couldn't trust in myself. I couldn't get myself out of this one. I had to look up. And when I did, I saw it. I looked up at the rock that I jumped off. And for the first time, I didn't see it before, but then I saw it. I saw that covering the rock were these razor-sharp shells, barnacles, if you know what those are. So I grabbed hold of them. That's how I lived. I grabbed hold And it cut me up, dug into my flesh. That was a bloody mess. But I came out alive. And that's true of us. If you believe in Jesus, you're covered by his blood. But you're alive. I didn't care. I was alive. I was dead and now I'm alive. Like, I had to look up for salvation. I didn't mind that I couldn't do it myself. That I needed to be rescued in a sense by these barnacles. So what are you going to do today, friends? Are you going to look up to Jesus? who was lifted up for you? Or are you going to stay where you are? Are you going to see your salvation and say to yourself, I don't need that? If you were there that day at Laguna Beach and you saw me flailing out there, about to drown, and you saw that I locked in on those barnacles and I just didn't lay hold of them, what would you think? Like, this guy's got a death wish. This guy's crazier than his buddy Mike. And friends, if you ignore Jesus' offer of new life, that's you. But it doesn't have to be. It does not have to be. You can look to him today. You can trust him today. You can receive what he did for you today. So basically, I've been been laboring this point. Trust him. Look to him today. Now, some of us, we've already done that. And today, I feel a very special invitation for you. If you've already put your faith in Jesus, if you've been walking with him for a while, you were dead, but now you're alive. Which means what? Like you can live a rich life of gratitude, of joy, of celebration because all of life is a gift to you. You can sing. We're about to sing. You can sing with reckless abandon. All of life is grace. You can worship him not just with your, with your voice but with your life. You can use your time, your talents, your treasures, everything for the benefit of other people because that's what Jesus did with his life for you. He gave up his whole life for you as a free gift that you could never earn. Now you get to give yourself as a gift for the benefit of many people. So live life to the full, friends, for the glory of God. Whatever you do, you serve, you parent, you work, live it up to the glory of God with joy. And I'm going to close on this. I think for some of us, there's a special invitation today to let go of the past and not look back because you're a new person. Your religious pedigree, your accomplishments, Whatever's in your past that you feel defined you or could define you, or your walk with God, listen to these words from the Apostle Paul, a man who had a very fine religious resume. This is what he says about his own accomplishments. Philippians 3, verses 7 and 9. 
But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I lost all things. I consider them garbage, hot garbage. And you know what? That is a sanitized, very nice translation of that word. You know what word I'm talking about, what that is. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. He considered his his life, his religious life, his pedigree as garbage, hot garbage. Why? So that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, from my religious pedigree and background, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Jesus saving us freely and rescuing us when we didn't deserve it, that's your hope and that's my hope. So let's not add our religious credentials to it. Let's leave them behind and together pursue Jesus' community.